0: You're Going to Die the podcast is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.YG2D.com.
1: This episode offers the epitome of what I feel and hope is possible with this podcast, including having a guest that I sincerely and deeply respect, who's had an impact on me for decades leading up till now, and to have the kind of conversation with them that offers the realest, rawest, even most vulnerable version of who they are in the world, especially in the context of mortality. I love it, and I hope you do too. Hi everybody. Welcome to You're Going to Die the podcast. Um my name's Ned Buskirk. I'm your host. This is your Creatively Conscious Mortality Podcast, where we have conversations with, well, you know, anybody really that wants to talk about this stuff. A lot of the early episodes is, it's just a chance for us to talk about what you're going to die is in the world. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, and I'm not even going to get into all that because we actually include a moment in the conversation with Andy DeFranco where I get to tell her what you're going to die is. And I love this moment that you'll get to hear where I find out that the reason why we're getting to have a conversation is just because what I do is called you're going to die. But I'll save that. I'll save that for you for later. But we are a Creatively Conscious Mortality podcast, and we've had a lot of episodes just talking with ourselves here, this organization, the people that do it, but also a lot of conversations with people that work in death and dying and end of life and health and wellness, palliative care doctors and uh, death and dying professionals. Um, And then this particular special conversation, if you've been listening for a while now, you know how much the artists matter in what you're going to die does. And so then that gets us to why this episode is special on like another level because it is that, but not only does it matter to have this conversation with Ani DeFranco for me organizationally in the ways that you're going to die and who she is in the world align and connect, but it's a personal thing. It's a huge deal to be able to personally get to have this conversation with Ani DeFranco. And I, I guess I'll just say a little bit about that is that I, I was introduced to her music back in around 2000 ish by one of my dear friends from college, Mark Sitko, and I really got how wonderful her music was from him, but really like kind of vicariously. I, 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 I it took time for me to make it my own or discover ani in the ways i personally really connected and needed her and her music and that came around 2001 with her album reveling and reckoning especially the second half of that album reckoning which if you know me at all you know how much i love sad songs and ballads and boy is that particular part of that double disc album full of sad songs and ballads and quiet and tears and grief and darker parts but it really met me during that time out of college i'm figuring out what the heck i'm doing down in la and my mom is still sick Uh, i moved home with her for a while in that window uh and then i went back to la and she died around 2003 so i know and i remember annie's music being a soundtrack for all that time and you know i could say that to her i said it you know she didn't say no way bullshit. But there's that little element of like, I don't say this to everybody. Okay. It's not like every musician that gets on here, even though I've had uh, several conversations with some of my favorite musicians, I can definitively say Ani DeFranco is in the top 10 of all the musicians of my life, my favorite my favorite music, music that makes a soundtrack for my life, music that I that I grieved to and processed and found catharsis in and joy and aliveness back when I was just out of college, but then also the years after. Markers, songs that match like my wedding and my love story and my losses and my mother's death. And so I don't need to say much more than to explain to you how special it is to have Ani DeFranco here uh, in this episode, to share with you. So I'll say that much. Now, this is a special note for some of you die hard, Ani DeFranco fans. And it is a way to really articulate what we do and, and really what we need to do. You're Going to Die, the podcast, is brought to you by YG2D, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. Well, we have a way for you to support what we do and to support the podcast. And I'm mentioning it now at the start of the interview for those of you that want the max amount of Ani DeFranco right now, before you listen to the rest of this episode, if you go to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash YG2D, and you can check the liner notes if you want to get there, but if you want to hear this whole conversation, this episode, all edited and cleaned up is about 50 ish minutes of Ani and I talking, but the episode available on Patreon as a gift to our supporters is about an hour and 40 minutes. It's a lot more. And it was really hard to edit all that stuff out. So just so you know, it's not just a bunch of like moments of weird noises with dogs barking that we had to cut out, even though there is some of that, which I like, but there's a ton more conversation that we had a hard time deciding what to cut out, but it made sense. You know what? We'll, we'll make this available, but we'll make it available on Patreon. So again, go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D. You can click the link in the liner notes and go there and you can support the podcast for as little as $1 a month and more if you're able, but know that you're not just supporting the podcast, but you're supporting, you're going to die and all the ways we're in the world with our prison program, our hospice program, and all of our events and our grief workshops, all the things. But while you're supporting what we do, you're getting sweet treats, like double the length of an Ani DeFranco conversation with me, Ned. Just sweetening the deal. So go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and become a patron today. Okay. I just need to kind of slow down. That was a lot. (laughs) Um, I'm obviously excited, feeling a lot about this one. So if you don't know who Ani DeFranco is, well, first of all, read her book. Yes. She has a New York Times bestseller. It's her memoir. It's called No Walls and the Recurring Dream. And I read it, Just before I got to have my conversation with Ani, and it was really, really lovely. Like, I can't believe I hadn't read it before. So glad that getting to talk to Ani for the podcast got me to read her book. But also, um, you know, for now, just know she's a singer and songwriter, a writer, a poet, a performer, an activist, Um, kick ass in all the ways. And I am so glad to share this with you this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Ani DeFranco
0: You know forgive me I actually don't know anything about your work that's okay. Uh, I'm just here talking to you because <laughs> I just saw the title of your you know I mean I know the <laughs> most very basic thing and I was like yes I don't know who this crazy person is
2: <laughs> but or yes
1: or what, I but am going to die doing,
0: yes yeah. but though that's amazing I, that feels right to me. Let me talk to this person. Um, that
1: is that is really special and powerful. After years of having an organization called "You're Going to Die," you can imagine how much <laughs> kickback I get on that. They're yeah, like, "What right. the hell is it called?" No, I'm not going to your events, but First it's like
0: You need a new name. <laughs>
1: exactly, it has come up. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're the second person of of late, and I feel like you and Andrea Gibson are probably friends, or you know, and, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, literally their description of getting on this conversation with me for the podcast was that. They're like, oh, I don't know what awesome. you're doing, but I saw you're going to die and was like, <laughs> hell yes, we need to talk.
3: Yes. Well, let me,
1: just, let me just say a couple things about, just to give you a little more context of what Please. our nonprofit does. And, and, and it'll matter because there are some things I want to talk to you about that connect to some of our programming, especially our prison program. Yeah. Um, mm. But the open mic started in 2009. It was called You're Going to Die, Poetry, Prose, and Everything Goes. And it and it really was an invitation, maybe back then, to be like, come and share whatever you got to share. You're going to die, so you're just going to keep it to yourself or are you going to tell it, read the poem or play the song? You know, like, what are you going to do? And so that was really the heart of it, which is why now it's like, you know, there's plenty of death and dying movements and nonprofits and organizations out there having conversations with palliative care doctors and hospice organizations and all that. And we do some of that. But what has really taught me, and you're one of those people, but the countless artists, musicians especially, but people in the world creatively healing and addressing these like ways of being mortal, all the parts. Mm. And mm. Um, and really like sourcing those things to have catharsis and and connect community and ultimately also find joy and aliveness. And so that open mic really grew over the years into this nonprofit, which we got nonprofit status back in like 2016. And so we have a hospice program where we send musicians into the bedside to mm-hmm. play with, with the dying mm-hmm. and their their friends and family. Our prison program is like really a version of the open mic, which is the mm-hmm. heart of what we do, which is mm-hmm. I got invited to go into San Quentin to talk to these guys. And I was like, what the hell do I have to say to them? What I do need to be doing is listening. And so we go in there regularly, not as much obviously in the last couple of years, but we go in and hold circle and listen to poetry and stories and song. And, and really it's grief. You know, it's it's like a space for grief. And the death and dying piece is really there. But sometimes I feel like that's just a, like, let's level the playing field. It's like what you felt about the title was, okay, yeah, like that is for sure true. And I want to talk from there, no matter where it goes, mm-hmm. right? It's this like, let's clear it all out and be real and raw. And um, now we do grief workshops with uh, freed, um, at one point incarcerated Um, community through the Ohio Innocence Project. We do that once a month. So we just make room for these people to tell their story, why they were put away, how they got out, um, the grief you can imagine that runs through all that experience and those stories. Um, And then we do a lot of grief workshops now. We sometimes do online open mics. We might do a live event coming up here in March, locally here in the Bay Area. but mostly it's like creating as much opportunity to have conversations like the one we're getting to have and and really like being in this part of what it means to be alive and what it means to eventually die and sourcing that hopefully for like a deeper life and more connectedness and inspire what we might do with the little time we have. So that's the nutshell of, of mm. the organization. Thanks awesome. for letting me talk about that for a sec.
0: Yeah, boy. I, I mean, I do, not to fast forward in this conversation because I don't Go even know where we're going. But <laughs> I have one thing that made your invitation to talk just an automatic yes for me was I've been obsessed with death uh, mm. for a while. Um, and I think most people, I don't imagine you, but a lot of people, I think, would hear that and think there's a dark, there's a morbid- morbidity, there's a dark, and that's darkness, and that's um, a bummer. But I'm obsessed with it in, a, I think, a, from a different direction in, mm-hmm. in, in the incredible beauty of it, in the the possibility of it. I mean, I, I think of death just in a nutshell as a reconnection mm-hmm. with all of ourself, you know, yeah. which is like, I'm looking at a part of myself right now and you're doing the same, Yeah. but we are living this illusion of separateness, this illusion of being autonomous and al- alone in our story. You know, we're lost mm-hmm. in our story and the,
2: um,
0: my from what i know about death from my little experiences or readings or people who have more experience um is that it's such a great joy to mm. to put that all down and to reconnect and as we were starting to talk i'm thinking like art is a little death mm. it's it's about getting out of your the cage of your individuality for one moment and reconnecting with yeah. the rest of you, which is right in front of you. Mm. It's the way that we die in that most beautiful, positive sense. We mm-hmm. get out of this um, very myopic view of ourselves and back to the reality of we are everywhere. We are all of us. We mm. are one, you mm-hmm. know, Yeah. blah, blah. <laughs>
1: I like the body, the bloody block clothes. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I was talking to Andrew, and there was like, "Well, we want to push up into the woo woo, you know, like, but also knowing there's this, like, okay, we're gonna make fun of ourselves at the same time." But I absolutely feel that. I mean, I've got tears running down my face. It's like, you know, I know you're right, and I have experiences where it hurts a lot. So it is a practice of returning to what I think you say is what the truth of it. And and knowing that like there's a limit in just staying in how it's hard and scary. And even acknowledging like our limited like perspective in consciousness and mind sometimes is really like getting what you just described. And the beauty of it, I mean, I know you have experience with loss and I, I would like to, because you said it, I mean, I wrote it down about your dad's death that you said, and you, told, you said this to him, whether you said it, whenever you said it, but you said, you came to show me that death is beautiful, And my question that you've sort of already answered is like, can you tell me more about that moment of knowing when it when it that's what he that's what you got from his dying?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause you do what you just described is more than you say in the book. You say moments where you're like, death is you say a version of death is reconnecting. You say that he taught you that that death is beautiful. But this, I was so excited to talk to you because I was like, tell me more what that was. Yeah. Like when you, what that, yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, well, I'll just, I'll sort of paraphrase the the little part of the book for people who don't know the book. Um, yeah, my dad died, I don't know, I was mid thirties and um, I was not in the room with him. I was in my house a few miles away. He was in a nursing home I had been spending days with him because he was deteriorating quickly. And so I was so, so lucky to spend the last number of days like just laying in bed with him and holding him. Like, um, and then, you know, it's time for me to go home and visiting hours are over. And I go home and I cry and I stay up all night and I obsess and I... I'm freaking out and I'm full of resistance and I'm full of fear and sadness. And, um, and I was doing just that. I was, I was just, just throwing energy into feeling really shitty. And, and obsessing about what 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 I was gonna do the next day and what I was gonna bring and the snacks and what song I might play for him mm. or something or and
1: you did you played music, during yeah, those... I brought a guitar,
0: yeah. and my mom and mm. my brother were there for at times, and it was a like i say it was I was lucky you mm-hmm. know to have had that time at the end of somebody's life that I, I care so deeply for mm-hmm. um and then uh, it's three in the morning, and it was like I was hit—I don't know—by a uh, just a, a hair dryer to the face.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: A hair dryer of the deepest calm and bliss. It mm-hmm. was sudden, mm-hmm. and it was this wave it was this whoosh i mean i swear i i think i said in the book i think i almost went to my knees i may have i don't mm-hmm. the memory is blurry but strong mm-hmm. you know it mm-hmm. was like um a sudden overwhelming feeling of peace and just joy just mm. Lightness and the, I mean, the only words that I can remember attaching to it at the time-ish was like, everything is fine.
2: Mm-hmm. You don't
0: have to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's all perfect. Yeah. It's all, oh, I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, it's all perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it's, I was just breathless and... Then, of course, the next day, you know, I am told my father, you know, your dad died at about three in the morning. So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, Mm. Uh, so did I. Mm -hmm. He came to Mm. me and he showed me. He, I mean, he, I was, he and I were the closest duo in my very messy family and, um our love was like unconditional. There was never any doubt. Mm -hmm. And so it made total, I mean, I was utterly blown away in my logical experiential animal self that that occurred, Mm. but it made total sense Mm -hmm. like that I would be with him even as he crossed the veil Mm -hmm. and that I would feel even that with him Mm-hmm. And I have only just met you, and I don't, and I didn't know your mom, and I didn't know you and your mom. But as you were talking uh, just now, I was imagining, like, right, the pain. Of course, as living creatures, the loss is so that the, the, the monument of loss mm. that that sort of spears into the sky and, mm. and changes the landscape and shadows cast shadows and it's hard for us not to uh be uh, affected by that certainly and and have that be the overwhelming um object of mm-hmm. our experience of their death but i i was picturing your your relationship with your mother and that like this is um this is the part of your relationship which is ongoing yes you know where you are despite yourself and all your resistance, going to learn incredible patience. Because, and or, and a whole new set of tricks. Like, mm. okay, if you want to talk to mom, you have to get even deeper and wider and trickier You're to right. have conversations right now or mm-hmm. in your dreams or mm-hmm. however. Or you just have to be so freaking patient and wait mm. until you cross too and then catch up. Yeah, you know, as it were, right. like if the conversation mm-hmm. is not over, but at this point you are facing challenges in your relationship mm-hmm. of being made of different stuff and mm-hmm. conversations get trickier, but not impossible. Yeah. I don't know what your experience has been.
1: Well, it feels like you're acknowledging something that's been part of this, especially maybe last five years of, you know, I didn't grow up with that kind of, Teaching, You know, this idea of reconnecting to our ancestors, connecting to our dead, um, I, you know, it was like subtle Episcopalian influences in, in those early years of my life. I think it's just the like, okay, heaven, we'll see you there kind of uh, unsaid. And this, you're right, this work and like her death propelling me through it has been this time, especially like I said, in the last five years of, well, what does it look like then? to connect to them, to her and, and my, my dad. And, and you're right. It is more work. It is like, it does require more candles or an altar or <laughs> paying attention to dreams and journaling about them. Or even just like suddenly, very recently, I just started talking out loud to her Yeah, and I was like, not, it just came upon me. And, mm. and so it is, mm. it's, I'm still learning about it. And, um, and 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 I do, though, know even before that, there's been like an ongoing relationship between us in a way that I can describe as how hard it was when she died and what it was like when she died and the years, at, you know, a few years after. Thinking about the moments of that last week where she would fall suddenly when I was responsible for trying to get her to more, get more chemo. Like, I feel like she had a round of chemo in the last week that she died. But just feeling that young me in the suffering of being suddenly in the parent role. And there's a couple things I want to touch on here that I will bring back to to questions I want to ask you. But there's a way that I had to work through how traumatic that was and know that like that's also there. It's just where it was. And my mom's not stuck there. And I remember a moment, even maybe two or three years after where I realized she didn't have to be there anymore. And it was up to me to free her from that like week of her dying and her suffering. And so then what came from that and slowly, but like months and years since is this like, oh, like mom, you know, like you're not the dying woman who couldn't talk to me, who was falling over, who died within a couple hours of getting you to the hospital. You're, there's an aliveness to you that's you know, coming from you being dead in a way and really like making room for that. And one thing I wanted to talk to you about was something that I really felt strongly reading about you, reading about your dad. And it was this like way you described, because another thing for me was the depression stuff that my mom l- raised me in. She was so sad. And my dad had a version of that too. Um, but there's a there was something I had to do with that sadness too, coupled with like losing her. And it was this way of, maybe even realizing one day, like that sadness wasn't even mine, but I'd been carrying it. And so there's a line that you say in your book about your, your, your dad, the weight of his sadness. And I'm wondering if we can talk about that a little bit, like these ways we carry, not just the death of those we love, but those emotional parts of who they are in the world. Can you speak to that a bit?
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe if I'm hearing you right, you know, I've, continued to do the work <laughs> that my well, my mom is still living but um my dad yeah very depressed mm-hmm. very um self full of self-loathing person mm-hmm. so I carry all of that and I'm trying to I'm trying to blow it into balloons and let mm-hmm. them go mm-hmm and let them float higher and higher till they pop <laughs> yeah because the atmosphere that 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 made it possible no longer is there and right yeah I mean I I, I have had experience that that I it would be hard to be specific I, I sort of but I touched on it in my book about I feel like it's not just a memory game that I'm Playing with the memory of my dead father mm-hmm. uh, since his passing, it really is like we've had new conversations. I've learned th- new things. Mm. Um, I was aware of that happening at various. I mean, I uh, honestly, it's happening less. It's been a lot of years. I, you know, but I like that. Su- I'm going to take as a suggestion the idea of talking out loud to him. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a really good you know, summon him a little closer, mm-hmm. uh, as I keep going on and getting older myself. Um, mm. cause I, I really did become aware that it's not just me remembering stuff in my dreams. It's me discovering still Yeah, and him teaching still.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and, and so then this like next question I was wanting to ask feels really important too, which is the honoring of his life and his death. There's a way that you describe <clears throat> getting to be there in those final days. And in a way, like I'm paraphrasing, but the honor of that time and it being beautiful. But like, I think you literally say something about wiping his butt. And that like, there's a way that that struck me really profoundly because of the contrast it is to how we are in our culture around dying, that there's a wish or even an unconscious inclination to, like, put the dying somewhere else for someone else to take care of them. And... um but that that there is something in that, like even our res- like how we are with potty training. You know, it's the same thing. It's like that shift is part of the transition. It is part of the arc and the cycle. And that I'm wondering, did you know then, you know, like were you like, I'm going home, I'm going to be there? Uh, or w- was it that you just had to? And so then it was the discovery of what it meant. Uh, what was the relationship to that, his dying, in that you were able to be there in that way and know that it mattered like that?
0: Well- I mean, if you want to get really real, let's do this. I, do. I will, I will do you? tell you. Yeah. Okay. In case, in case we were holding back up till now, <laughs> um, uh. I focus on those last few days because those were the days that I was really there. Um, my dad started a long, 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 gradual off-ramp for twenty years. Mm. So when I was in my 20s, I mean, he had me when he was 50. By the time he was 70, he was quite old and Mm -hmm. he was going into assisted living and then a nursing home. I don't even want to know. I literally don't know how many years he spent in a nursing home. And I think if I did know, it would just be another thorn in my Mm -hmm. brain and my heart.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It was, you know, the whole circumstance of there was no support, there was no circumstance conducive to caring for him in his old age, no people who could put down what they were doing long enough to do that and dedicate. And I, of all people, his person, you know, me and my dad, what did I do? I chose to move through the world in my 20s and and then early thirties and become myself and dedicate myself to my art and my mission and my story. And I didn't care for him and I would come home from tours, you know, on my, I was just always traveling, always working. I came home from tours now and then, and it was a struggle. I thank my friend Scott, uh, Throughout those many years, when my dad was in the home for f- forcing me to go to the nursing home because the heartbreak, Scottwood, yeah, mm-hmm. it I, I I love my dad with everything I uh, in my being, and to go and s-
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you know acknowledge where he was at and that I wasn't there for him <laughs> in. Mm-hmm so many ways um, was really devastating emotionally. But I would show up in my in-between tours and Mm -hmm. I would walk in and he'd be in a chair in the hallway lined up against the wall with all the old people in the chairs lined up against the wall. And it was, you know, that, that was so that was as hard as his his dying and and then some by,
2: mm-hmm.
0: by a lot. His mm-hmm. release, his release from suffering and talk mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, I mean, I, I was talking moments ago about like just the cage of being in our bodies, of mm-hmm. being in this illusion of being separate and the pain and the suffering mm-hmm. that is inherent to existence that way. And then when your cage becomes something that, you can't take care of yourself and you're you're you move from chair to bed to chair mm-hmm. in a place surrounded by people who don't know and love you mm-hmm. Whew.
2: Mm-hmm. okay now yeah. that's
0: your existence of uh you know your your experience um in this life so the release from that was blissful just mm-hmm. in and of itself for mm-hmm. both of us but i don't even know what i'm saying but uh Yeah, I mean, the reason that I like to talk about those last few days when I had the the wherewithal to stop a recording session I was doing in L.A. with a lot of people that I was paying a lot of money and the schedule that I was thwarting by leaving and the plans and the, you know, uh, when I got the call from my brother, you know, dad's not doing well. It was just... And luckily, I was surrounded by the, these people, these musicians, and and who had just said, "Go, mm. go."
1: Mm-hmm. And I was
0: like, right, "Cause I was like, should I go?" And they're like, uh, "Yes,
1: <laughs> yeah." You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it takes how, that sometimes,
0: <laughs> right? That's how in my oh, yeah mission mm-hmm. I was, and he never, you know. And my dad gave me the gift of yeah. being of inventing myself and being me in the world and discovering what that totally. was. Totally what that could do. Cause every time I saw him, he was thrilled to see me. And yeah. he never was there a guilting or a mm. pressuring me to mm-hmm. drop my life and do his, or, you know, he, he never. So uh, anyway, yeah, uh, his, his decline was very long. His, I, I think his death was slow motion, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so that made it, that was the hard, hard part mm-hmm. for me.
1: Yeah, and so then to even get that time when you did go home and honor all that and and make up for it. I'm not saying you were made, you should have made up for it or were, but that you felt like it. You know, right, um,
0: right. I guess that's what I wanted to say is I have so much empathy for people who <laughs> have guilt or have. Shame, or heart, or just mm-hmm. a, a, a something—a a wish that they could have—and—and and who never get to repair a relationship with a parent or a, a loved one before they pass mm-hmm. over. Who, you know, I feel like, yes, those three days, at least. I felt like I was there for him in an important moment.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that
0: was an incredible gift for me Ugh, yeah. that not everybody gets. No. Sometimes their loved ones die and they're far away, mm. you know, and that, you know, so I had those few days and, um, you know, that was my, my, one of my great gifts from him.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Hope you're enjoying this conversation with Ani DeFranco. Just wanted to pop in the middle here, kind of give us a chance to catch our breath. I'm certainly needing to do that a lot with this episode as we put it together, piece it together. If you're really loving what you're hearing, just another reminder, you can go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and support the podcast with as little as $1 a month and up to... $5,000, I don't know if there's a cap, $5,000 a month. If you're a listener out there who can afford to give us $5,000 a month, (laughs) would you just do it? I mean, just do it, okay? You're a billionaire and you just got the expendable income. (laughs) Like I would, how crazy would that be to have someone come in and be like, here's $5,000 a month. Okay, if you're not that category, $100 a month like, who are you? Are you that person? Support the podcast and you'll get a treat right away, which is the hour and 40 minute length conversation between Ani DeFranco and yours truly. Uh, Again, go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D. You're not just supporting the podcast, you're supporting the nonprofit. You've heard by now me talking to Ani about the prison program our hospice program, our grief spaces. There, there's so much that we're up to that needs support. We're not just Jason Bateman and Will Arnett and and, and Sean Hayes. We're not just smart. I'm sounds like I'm slandering them. You know, I, I just want to say that it's not, we're not just like a podcast, you know, having famous guests on, even though we, we're doing that, obviously. Uh, we're also doing a lot of other things. So your support, through Patreon is is not just supporting the podcast. It's supporting all that. Um, So thank you in advance. Another way to support the podcast is to share it with others. So right now, if you're loving this episode with Ani DeFranco, just click the share option in your little podcast app or wherever you're listening, the link, and send it to one friend. Just one friend, it's all we ask. You have no idea how much the word of the mouth, the word of the mouth helps spread the podcast around the world. And then another way is with your ratings and reviews, especially wonderfully in Apple podcasts. So if you listen to the podcast in Apple podcast, go in there and give us a star, whatever level it is, really, you know, any news is good news. And if you want to share some words, please do. This helps us get our podcast out in the world. The more ratings we get, the more listeners we get. It is a fact. So please, 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 we really appreciate your support.
0: The ideas, like uh, all, 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 all of of oh, she's sick and debilitated, and she's not herself, or she, or oh, she's dead, and I'm alive, or she. It's that's just our, your perception. Yeah, dude. yeah, totally,
2: and, <laughs> and just um, right here,
0: <laughs> just right. And so maybe there's many other truths parallel. You know, I was thinking of like my father's decline. Part of it was dementia. You know, mm-hmm. so. And everybody else was very um, upset about this, that he would confuse people or forget, or, you know, he would talk to me like I was my mother or like da-da-da-da, or, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and oh, he's gone, he's lost, he's, you know. But my experience of my father was that he was uh, uh, very emotionally present, even if he was addressing me as my mother or... Uh, you know, I think I said some words oh, to that. Yes. In fact, in my book, that of all my family, my crazy family in the room, I felt like he was more emotionally present than the mm. other people who knew everybody's name <laughs> yeah, and right. how exactly. old they were and what the relationship. <laughs> exactly. All these ideas, mm-hmm. right? All these ideas about what these spirits are called mm. and and what their relation and it's like that's those are just that's just stories. Mm. You know, and and really, I felt like my father and I connected. I didn't. I, I I felt like I was I was actually pretty good at dealing with the dementia game because. None of that mattered to me. Like, I felt like I still feel you. You still feel me. I think we're still communicating much clearer than actually me and some of these other people. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And and death could be put in that category too. Mm. It's like, I have this idea that you're dead and I'm alive and da, da, da. But that's, you know, um, maybe not important, as important as it looks.
1: Um, Yeah, it's like you say, you talk about the respect that we need to have for grief and suffering and our grief and suffering as a starting point, just like the window that grief offers. I'm using, these yeah, are your words. Yeah, these are yeah, your yeah. words. Grief is a window. That's lit- that's your words. Literally.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, she, the other day I was talking to a friend about another friend. Uh, uh this other friend is female and menstruates. And, mm-hmm. um, And I was—we were talking about the problematic aspects of this other friend and how sometimes they can be adversarial. They can stir the pot. They can create things. And I said, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just a sort of a monthly occurrence, you know, (laughs) that this shit-stirring happens— and this other friend kind of like looked around, make sure we weren't being mic or <laughs> yeah. filmed. I was like, that's not PC, by the way. I know you're the feminist and I'm the dude here. Yeah. But um, you should watch yourself, right? Yeah, right. And it's like, okay, point taken, uh, because there's a lot of ways that women's uh, rhythmic experience of grief is used, weaponized Mm -hmm. against them, Mm -hmm. um, used as an excuse why they can't be held responsible. They're irrational, da, da, da. So it is a very complex and nuanced recognition, Mm -hmm. I think, that we need that to have. I mean, I sort of tried to get into it in the book. I think that- that Yeah, that's where that line comes from. Yeah. Right. The grief is a window. Like, PMS, I want to call it the window, um, Mm -hmm. because while it, 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 because until we respect it, um, we're we're going to always be victims of it. All of us, Mm -hmm. all of us, Mm -hmm. male, female, in between, this, Mm -hmm. that, the other, and then some. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, It's it's a it's a trauma that is it's it's the death that is inherent in life. Yeah. It, it it's a metaphor that's being lived uh organically you know by these animals um mm-hmm. the metaphor for what existence is it's mm-hmm. it takes a lot of death to make life mm-hmm. you know um it and yeah. it takes a lot of suffering to have joy so right yes. um acknowledging that and 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 what it means to um be on in the hot seat of of that type of it, and you know this kind of thing, I think it can't be ignored it it, it this this idea that there's no difference between having ovaries and not um that's mm-hmm. not gonna get us all the way there, you mm-hmm. know, to true respect and equality, you know, so mm-hmm. acknowledging yeah there's some of us have to. Ride this roller coaster yeah. while doing everything else, yeah. and 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 in fact, we all do. So the better we understand it, acknowledge yes. it, respect that the roller coaster itself is—we're just passengers. Mm-hmm. You know, the shit stirring—that's nature mm-hmm. stirring. That's nature going. Look at the darkness. Look at mm-hmm. look at where everything's blocked. Look at what's locked up. Look at mm-hmm. what's unfair. Look at what sucks face it, face it now, feel it, feel it deeply, you know, the rest of the time, maybe we can walk past it and not even turn, mm-hmm. right? But in these few days a month, you can't. Mm-hmm. And But that's important, you know, and that's real, mm-hmm. you, you know, and the more that we acknowledge the, the realness and the deepness and the profoundness of that, you know, and that it's not something to be condescended to or cast aside as irrational, it's a truth that needs opening and understanding that we are all, you know, have to suffer through, you Mm -hmm. know, that we all have to uh, become accountable to.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that.
0: But yeah, and art, I was thinking as you were, yeah, sort of talking about art, the art process, like even all my sad songs, it's about the it's an approach to joy, you know, it's mm. the moving through.
1: Yeah, the approach to joy. Yeah. I I, I feel that. Um I, I imagine even like in a show, a show I've been to of yours, you know, like the the times that are needed, like I feel it's funny, there's a couple directions here. There's a couple approaches but the one is the like, we need the catharsis of tears to like laugh, you know, like when someone's died, that moment of euphoria and laughter and joy and yeah. connectedness that yeah. comes upon you. And yeah. a lot of the open mics, really that's where I started to get clear about that. Right. And, but also what happened there, um, cause, cause there's another question I have, but also what happened there was the approach to the grief through humor, you know, yeah, and you write right. about that too. This like, the reason why you're made to be on a mic and have been able to be on a mic for your life, you know, work, is that you know these approaches and use them to like crack us open, crack yourself open, but like so then invite other people's in through that doorway that you've made out of yourself with your work. Um, and I love that you do that. You acknowledge that in the book too. Where I was like, oh my God, like you're describing, you said this earlier and I'm absolutely... We'll take it, the, the like way we are parallel with some of how we've been in the world. And the way you describe in Utah Phillips, you know, this idea that like to get the shit in there for yeah. people to take the shit, you have to get go through these, you have to do use these approaches, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it is the like, I'm cracking open so vulnerably. You know, I think the song I'm thinking of of yours, I'm I i can not remember the name. You end, you end the book with with words. Uh, the words of it, the like, it's probably my favorite of yours, but the, you know what I'm talking about already, but I'm just going to say, find the title. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine that.
0: Oh, huh,
2: yeah.
1: But that like moment, I'm just, no, I saw it where you could do that spotlight moment on stage for an audience and have that be the way in Mm -hmm. as much as you could have the moment of like Mm-hmm. spontaneously riffing and making jokes and having yeah. people get in there before you suddenly bring the rage or the you know yeah. grief. Yeah.
0: Well I love your distillation of it. Your just mm-hmm. your encapsulation of mm-hmm. laugh your way to your grief. Laugh mm-hmm. your way to sobbing and mm-hmm. and cry your way to hilarity. Yeah like back to
1: yeah the cycle.
0: That's yeah. Yeah. That's that's right. Either 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 path it is mm-hmm. becoming whole.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm feeling like a few more questions and then...
0: Okay.
1: Um, and then I'm I'll check and... i st-
0: following okay, good. You through this.
1: So. Okay, good. Um, and I do, I, I just, yeah, okay. Um, one thing I'm wondering is, you know, I feel like the last five or 10 years, especially the last five years or so, there's been this time of my life to be fair, when I ask you this question, like I don't know when it dawned on me. It's been a y- years, a little block of years where it was like understanding some of these uh, details and and like um, just understanding the process of what it means to use space and community and connectedness and creativity to like heal, you know, and mm-hmm. and and create medicine in a way. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, do you? And you could just be like, that's, I don't know, decades. But like, is there a window of time where you really were clear that what you were doing with your music was was connected to so much of what you say in the book? Every time, like I said, you mention a segment of making songs, there's this like, this is about the wound. You know, this is about dealing with the grief. This is what you do, use music for. Do you remember when that crystallized for you? And maybe who influenced that? Or if it was like this stretch of your life where it was like, that's when I really got, that's what was going on. In, at least with, in some way with your music. Yeah. Was that a fair question?
0: Um, yeah. I mean, just really early on, back yeah. before I can remember concretely, I think, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to push myself. I was, I was thinking of early gigs, you know, in Buffalo, in little bars, or having very intense interactions with people who felt me and what Mm -hmm. I was putting out and who connected Mm -hmm. uh, right away, somehow, even though, wow, who knows what I (laughs) sounded like (laughs) or was acting like on stage or if there even was a stage. Um, You know, I was squirrely, squirrely for sure. Definitely (laughs) had to learn a lot of performance chops along the way, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I also feel like I could just push back to childhood Mm -hmm. and think of moments when the picture I made connected with a grown-up or uh, the dance I was doing. You know, when my being completely naked and vulnerable connected with the naked vulnerableness of somebody nearby, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like I just feel like that's why I was just fixated on art. I didn't yeah. care the method. Like I used to love to draw. I used to love to dance. I used to play guitar. I didn't care. That was not important. It was mm-hmm. that moment of connecting that was everything. And I think it goes back to the first time I opened up.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I great. mean,
0: I, I guess I was blessed, you know, to have my mother and father there who were there to meet that, from the mm-hmm. beginning, right? Like, mm-hmm. I guess not every kid has a safe space to open up in or somebody who's going to receive mm-hmm. them um, when they bear themselves. So yeah. I had that from the beginning. So I didn't have to fight through a, uh, as much fear as mm-hmm. as many.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Ani. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and for just knowing that. And so then... That that another moment of like that that little girl would know that and keep following that compulsion and what it would mean to so many and and I really mean that I just like and and I mean it from getting it you know like getting my version of what I've gotten from you so um, so thank you for that Um, uh, this might this might feel like a little bit of a leap but it's one thing I definitely wanted to talk about. I think it connects because I think it's, it's a version of what does it mean to collectively um, heal and um, especially in heal wounds that are like cultural country, you know, wounds, global wounds, like, and the restorative justice conversation feels like an important one to talk about in ways it connects. Um, and so then now, you know, my prison program, you know, our prison program and sort of the kind of space that holds. Um, I want to read this quote again. Sorry for reading all these quotes, but I just feel mm. like it's a nice way to kind of get into... In the case of Palmer, he seemed clear that the best way to begin healing the violence of society was by extending a hand to the people on the very bottom, the one ones living in cages with little to no human rights, the ones facing their own deaths at the hands of the state. And you, you even you go on to say, when men fall off the bottom of the world, it is easy to paint them as monsters and turn away, but more likely they were just the men who happened to be closest to the edge. We blame them, we blame their families, but really the blame should be spread across the shoulders of everyone who still refuses to admit the world is round. This is how I got the flat world, I think. No one should ever fall off. Um, and this is to circle back then. You know, it's like when I, when I was honored with the invitation to go into San Quentin, I didn't know then, but what I really feel is that, and I've been able to say it to this community inside and some of these people who have been freed and shouldn't have been incarcerated, but this idea that I'm responsible for a system that has let me have the life I have and taken theirs. Um, and I love the, the idea. I'm sorry. I love it. But I really feel this idea that there's people that are placed at the edge, you know, especially non-white, non-male. We talk a lot about it in the book. And I just want to make some time to both see whatever you have to share more about that and, that through line in your book it's like you touch on that a lot and I know that you're doing work now you talked about it already wondering what you're doing in New Orleans um, in that regard with your music and your projects yeah. and efforts
0: yeah man it's I know a, that's a lot that was a big yeah, question yeah. yeah no there's <laughs> a lot there right we need to start hour two here we go um <laughs> Yeah, it, it I mean, does feel
1: like a totally other conversation from right. and connected, but, but you know it is a lot. It's a big but
0: thing, so so important and so so awesome of you to bring yourself and your work, your mission, your journey of discovery into a prison, and um, and do the connecting. Uh, in that context, um, because as we know, we have this thing called mass incarceration. There are millions of people living behind bars. We know how unjust, uh, the justice system is, um, how much it discriminates and, and how much, like you say, uh, as privileged people, we need to be accountable we need to recognize it. We need to feel it. We need to acknowledge it and be accountable and drive the change of it because a completely debilitated person in prison cannot necessarily, uh, they don't have all the, the access that we do. So um, yeah, restorative justice is something that I continue to discover. You know, it's, as you know, uh, like a whole other model for uh, uh, handling violence in a society. Mm -hmm. It's a non-punitive model, you know, and I'm going to get it wrong. I should rehearse this so that I can share it more (laughs) widely, but something to the effects, correct me if you know, but, you know, it's like our current justice system, the punitive system asks, you know, who, what was the crime, who did the crime and how should we punish them? Mm -hmm. And it's all up to this. It's between the state and the person, you know, restorative justice model says, who was harmed, how were they harmed, Mm -hmm. and how can we heal it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the answering of those questions is done in community. It's done by the person who harmed, by the person who was harmed, by the family community of those people, by a neutral moderator, by you know a lot of preparation to sit in circle to be in conversation it's it's an in, you know what very few people know who don't journey into this world uh, and who are not forced into this world who don't stumble or end up there this world of incarceration and um punitive justice is that you know something that Palmer really taught me for the mm-hmm. first time and that I continue to learn more and more deeply is that the trauma of doing an act of violence you know it's a, how it's like we're united in song whether you're the singer or the listener you mm-hmm. are you become one in the song right mm-hmm. it doesn't matter which part role you play
4: mm-hmm. it's a
0: thing that that envelops you yeah. and violence is that way
4: mm-hmm. and
0: and and the perpetrator is also harmed The perpetrator, it's hard to say this because we get so angry and so hurt, of course, by acts of violence. Um, And there is a reckoning that needs to happen. But it's, uh, the, the you know, somebody who commits an act of violence, it's a gift to show them the pain they caused. Mm-hmm. To, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of respect and, 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 and re- continuing to see them as human, to mm-hmm. continue to talk to them and say, this is what happened to me. This is what it did to my life and my family. And, my, and when you start communicating like that and you allow the perpetrator to connect past their anger and resistance and shame and connect with their grief, over what they did, that's when the healing can begin. So you have to, both of you have to connect with your grief, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we've been talking about yes, this all yes, time, yes, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. In order to help each other heal, and then mm-hmm. the possibilities become just so vast, mm. you know, uh, the, in a way that you know, punishing a perpetrator and locking them away and never. It 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 never really allows the, the 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 victim you know the the survivor to heal in a way that reconnected because violence what is violence it's a complete disconnection mm-hmm. it's when two people are existing in a moment without recognizing each other's humanity or something is the mm-hmm. connection is broken yeah the empathetic connection so re you know to 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 solder that connection back together is to transform it is to heal for mm-hmm. for both parties um so restorative justice i think really is the way out we've gone almost as far as you can go right down mm-hmm. this road of hierarchy and punishment and ussing and themming and monsterizing and and good and bad people and and it's gotten us where you know so mm-hmm. i think to recalibrate and and point our mast, you know, uh, yeah. towards restorative justice is really the answer. I just read. I'd love to share with you, and I'll mm. try to do it quickly.
1: No, no. I, I mean, unless you need, you feel yeah, like you need okay, to rush yeah. it, I'm I'm yeah. here. I'm game. Cool.
0: Um, a story that I read recently, of uh, you know, just to to paint the 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 the, the look of the story, you know, the look of the identity and the story that that w- was supposedly unfolding. Privileged white lady, um, victim of violent crime, uh, uh, underprivileged uh, black uh, dude, um, perpetrates the crime, gets life in, uh, without parole. Um, very privileged, like, like r- wealthy lady after about 10 years um Already, you know, must be well on her way to a consciousness about there's no good people and bad people. There's suffering and ways of dealing with it. And there's good and bad versions of that, right? Mm-hmm. And after about 10 years of the incarceration of, of this person who, who did harm to her family, she thought that's long enough to punish a person for an act of violence. Um, they have served their time. This life, this endless imprisonment, which is like a super long slow motion death penalty, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. is also cruel and wrong. It's also mm-hmm. violent, you know, and I not in my name, you know. Um, and so, she began to fight for uh, the commutation of the sentence of of the uh, harm doer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the thing, you know, and this story happens, thankfully, more and more mm. as people become conscious of things that drive people to violence and how <laughs> perpetrators are also victims and we're all, none of us, all of us do harm. And yeah. uh, I think our harm looks like our circumstance, not like our souls. Like, mm. you know, my mm. soul in that situation might have done that. Your soul here might have had the luck of that I've had. Um mm-hmm. Our mistakes are born of our circumstance, not of, you know. So um, the thing that I found remarkable about this woman's story that I think I read recently in the New York Times or something, is that she didn't need or want to hear. She she literally didn't want to hear from the harm doer that he was sorry. Mm. For most people, that's, the key that unlocks their capacity to Mm -hmm. empathize and to forgive. Mm -hmm. For her, she felt like, I don't, I can't put words in her mouth, but there is, if you look at it, something transactional about that, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I feel it every day when I feel I'm harmed by somebody that mm-hmm. I love or don't even know. And if if only you would say you're sorry, then I could get over it.
1: Yeah, the conditionality. The yeah.
0: conditionality of mm-hmm. first you say sorry, then I. Then can I, I can you. soften.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Then I can go back to being compassionate towards mm-hmm. you. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's something even slightly flawed in that process. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course. We're not all so perfect as to, but I found it so remarkable that this woman, and she said, I don't want to make him have to lie. I don't, you know, because, and not that, Expressing the grief of what he did is just a lie, but there's also the anger of the violence that's perpetrated. So you want me to (sighs) say, I'm sorry and ask for your forgiveness. What about all the violence that was perpetrated on me? Who said sorry for that? Who asked my forgiveness? You know, it's so hard to do that as a one way street. And so, and these things are all equally and and simultaneously true. So, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so like, let's not even go there. Mm. Let me just, let me just, forgive you, you Mm -hmm. know? And that
3: like-
1: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But not Uh, just that, even as like to go and do the work of taking responsibility for their incarceration with action, you know, not on top of like the forgiveness to like go and be like, and now I need to do something about. Yeah, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean- I, I, you know, if if only we could rise to these occasions in time, you know, uh, when we're all reeling, which is really mm-hmm. the occasion of living, right? Yeah. Um, to have the forgiveness, invite the apology, you know? Mm-hmm. I forgive you. You're a worthy <laughs> yeah. human being with love and possibility mm-hmm. and you have value. Mm-hmm. Oh, Thank you. And mm-hmm. by the way, I'm so sorry. You I mean, know? that's like,
1: that's that's that makes sense. You know, like the forgiveness is the like salve or the the cracking open or the like extreme vulnerability or yeah. a generosity, so that, that, that it really, changes yeah. things, changes people. You know, right?
0: It's like I'm willing to go all the way through the anger to the essential event, which is grief. I am. Mm-hmm. I am. I am. I am in grief. And of course we, we turn this into secondary and tertiary emotions and then we direct them outward, you know, Mm. but I'm willing to sit in the primary emotion Mm. of pain with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and, Anyway, the restorative justice process is, it's such an imperfect process. You know, it's so hard Mm -hmm. for people to get there. But whichever, whoever takes the first incremental step or shows the crack that the light can come through, we can get there. Mm -hmm. Even after incredible violence towards each other, Mm -hmm. incredible harm that we do towards each other. I've seen it happen yeah. with very specific events and very specific people. I'm working on a musical now with um that involves the story of a uh, a crime, a very mm. violent crime and a restorative justice reckoning and a and then a unifying of the victim perpetrator quote unquote. Mm. And I think in it lies the template for the whole society cuz <sighs> As we know, there's these systematic historic cycles of violence and to get to the primary emotion of the pain and to get to the transcendent energy of forgiveness and coming back together to reform the bonds that have been so broken by Mm -hmm. these wrong teachings and wrong cultures and that's the that's the stuff that's mm-hmm. the stuff that's going to get us out of here and mm. so in the restorative justice process as imperfect and you know stumble and not always working, not mm-hmm. everybody can make themselves ready for that moment um and live it in this life um, <laughs> but uh that's the, the you know to to focus on that process and to try and apply it exponentially in our society. I think that's the stuff. Mm that I am with you that we, we must focus on together.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um,
0: oh, thank you. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm pa- pa- post- postulate. I don't know. What am I doing? I'm
2: pontificating.
1: Yeah. That all the po- all powers. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, no, it was so good. So good to hear all that. Thank you for that. For uh, this conversation, we'll just have you back for like parts, part four, part five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. I'm not even talk about going to New Orleans and like what it means to be Ooh, in city yeah. grief and like yeah. what's happened, you know, and and why you would choose. But so, I, but I'll leave that for another time. Um,
0: I hope this, we do have another
1: time. I, me too. Um, thank you so much. I keep I wanting to tell you that like <laughs> you really have to believe me. That when I when you describe like your experience with Prince in the book, like how it felt to be with them and like creating and the honor of that, like, really, mm-hmm. that's how this feels. Uh, and I have these moments of being like, ah, look at us humans. Like, this is such a fucking cool conversation. And suddenly I'm like... Holy shit. Like the last time I was with this person in person, they were on stage in front of like thousands and thousands of people. And I was like in the audience, you know? And just that back and forth of feeling the comfort that I'm feeling with you and the Mm. meaning of this conversation. And then also just the like, suddenly like you are, I am just like in awe and you're so important to me in so many ways in my life. So this has been so special. Thank you so Mm. much.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. Absolutely.
1: Mm. Thank you.
3: Do you ever just wanna give up? Will me tell? Are you shocked by what people get? Get yourself? Do you wake up in a cold sweat?
1: was a track from Ani DeFranco's album Revolutionary Love which you should check out ASAP and you can get it on lots of streaming platforms but you can go to Ani DeFranco and Righteous Babe's website RighteousBabe.com that track was Do or Die for obvious reasons we felt like playing that one for you thanks to Ani hope you enjoyed that conversation I certainly did. And I actually, listening to it again, I was texting Nick Jaina, our producer, who Uh, (laughs) is right here. You said my name. Oh, boy. I have to say it three times. No, no, just one Click my heels. Nick Jaina. Nick Jaina. Nick Jaina. Um, But Nick, I texted you that I was listening to this conversation just bawling repeatedly uh, which was, there's a lot in it for me. And then it kind of came up that you sort of agreed there was some experience you had working on the episode or the conversation, particularly editing the conversation, a lot of emotion, uh, for you. I want to hear before I talk about what it was like for me, cause I've done a lot of that already at this point in the episode. Uh, what was it like for you? Why was it emotional? What was going on? You have
4: ideas, theories, Yeah. Well, first describe what it was like. Well, okay. First picture a young Nick Jaina, 1999, younger than you. Yeah. No, no, I'm serious. 1999, New York city, Uh work in a temp job, $14 an hour, which is pretty good, but not for New York city. Um, my (laughs) cousin in Rochester was selling a car. I think it was like a geo Metro or something. Right. So I took the bus to Rochester, bought this car. The car lasted only two days before it totally died. I had two oh, days wow. of a car. Two and days. One of those days, I drove to Buffalo and looked up the Righteous Babe offices. Which you know, I didn't have a smartphone then, so I probably went to a phone booth, <laughs> like looked in the the yellow pages or white pages, and right. went to their office and kind of shyly lo- loitered around, and then like went up and said, "Can I have a tour of your offices?" And they mm. very kindly showed me around. You know, so I was thinking about why did I want to do that back then? And why did that still stick with me? And why was this interview so emotional? It's because this person, Anita Franco, more than probably anyone in my formative years symbolized the, the peak of artistry, ambition, and integrity. And I mean, those Mm -hmm. three things really sincerely, like, I know those are all Mm -hmm. vague ideas, but like artistry of, she wrote exactly the kind of music she wanted. It didn't sound like anybody else. Uh, ambition meaning like she started her own record label when that was a very unusual thing back then you know and integrity which meant like she made the decisions she wanted to make and she refused the opportunities that didn't support that you know yeah and that was so inspiring and to hear her now 22 years later 23 years later still such a real one and just so Mm -hmm. tuned in not just like Oh, what is this? Uh, I'm in Malibu and I can't hear you over my money being counted, you know, like, <laughs> like still in it and still caring about, you know, prison yeah. justice and all this stuff. Mm. And, and then when she's talking about regrets about how much her career ambitions got in the way of getting to spend time with her dad at the end mm. of his life is when I started crying. Cause I was like, man, to hear her say that, you know, like to me, mm-hmm. the, the pinnacle of truly righteous ambition, you know, Mm -hmm. like putting the work in, in the right way, in the right places to hear her still have those regrets. Just, you know, like it's that, that needle is so hard to thread, I think is Mm -hmm. what it is. It's like to spend time, to be present, to do all the right things, but then also to like do this miraculous building of a career in a way that seems, you know, truly trailblazing, like in a way that so many people now can just say they're starting a record label or they're going to book their own tour like back then that was a miraculous you know to think Mm -hmm. that you could do that uh without a label without big money you know so yeah I I, she I think it was those two things together I was so inspired by her Mm -hmm. but then also thinking of my parents in their later years and thinking like how much time will I spend with them you know like and how much time I wondered about my own ambitions have gotten in the way of you know like I gotta Mm -hmm. book this tour I gotta do this thing you know um, how yeah. much that gets in the way. And yeah, that, I think that's the the formula that <laughs> led to me crying. Mm, yeah.
1: I, you know, and I, I for sure getting to talk to Ani DeFranco, there's so many reasons why I feel like I was emotional, um, but I, but also like so many reasons why this meant a lot to get to have this conversation with her. But one of them is because of my love for music and my love for musicians in my life. I was thinking a lot about you as an example of one of these people. So many people that work in You're Going to Die, that work with You're Going to Die, that have been a part of You're Going to Die, that I've met and become best friends with because of You're Going to Die are musicians. And so I totally feel that, not because of I guess in a way there is like what I've done with You're Going to Die is I hope someone would describe it like you just described Ani's career and her music and work in the world. It's this, all those elements you, you listed, you know? And so in a way I, I, I hope that and, and imagine there are ways I can, you know, at least acknowledge even myself that connects to that really committing to something and doing it for so long and the sacrifices you have to make for that. But I also just felt a lot being able to have this conversation and share with this community you know, like you and hear you say that and be like, yes, you know, Ani DeFranco was doing something very uniquely. And she writes a lot about this in in her book, this idea that people are like, she's an entrepreneur and and how she kicked back on that too. But that somehow people were trying to get at like you're doing music and your own music and the music you want to do in a way that you just are going to get it done. And not dependent on some other big uh, contract with a recording, you know, label, whatever it is, like, this is yours. And even to look up her website and have it be Ani DeFranco and Righteous Babe, like, that's the thing. And on the cover of her book, that's the picture, you know, her, like, stance with her fists kind of kicked in the air. Yeah, yeah, really, that, you know, like, what you're describing is one of the ways I feel a lot and emotional about this. And then of course some of what i've talked about already this the meaning of what it was what it was like to have this conversation so wild to me really i mean i just got to say it to go back to 2001 ish where i really got introduced to ani around then you know give or take a year or two and reveling and reckoning being the the album that i fully gave myself to loving her and her music And seeing a show uh, months before 9-11 at Universal Studios Amphitheater. (laughs) And then having that music, especially Reckoning, no surprise, the like sad half of that album being really my access point to her. And more than any of her music before that, even though I'd heard stuff. um, And having that music really be one of the go-tos for me. And I joked with Ani about this, it wasn't a joke. I said, she's one of my top 10 favorite musicians. And she was like, yeah, yeah, you know, say that to everybody. (laughs) Uh, And it's not, you know, it's like, but it's true, you know, and having that music hold me through my mom's last couple of years of her life. And really, I know I listened to it a bunch uh, in the years following that death. And, and so then all the other albums, um, I had one of her songs on our wedding CD, you know, um, anyway, there's a lot that's, that's woven through there for me. And I've just been so excited. I'm so just even being here now, like I'm just closing my eyes and relishing talking to you about this, knowing that our our closing here is that cap on something really significant, like a marker that has to do with so many different parts of my life that I love and that make me who I am. And so when I listened to the interview after not having heard it, you know, uh, all, all these weeks after we actually had the conversation, I, I just multiple times just so overcome for all those feelings. But then there is something like you describe too and touch on with, with what it felt like for you, something true. It's the rawness. There's something I really feel about her emotionally charged being and how she uses words, even poetically, lyrically, to articulate some of what she's feeling, but all very honest. And 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 so then, too, some of those moments for me crying, listening to this interview after having shared the conversation with her. and and really feel the effect of her in that way. And that it's sort of relentless for the 50 plus minutes that we have in this episode. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I, those are all my things that were coming up and, uh, it's nice to kind of like get here and cap it, you know, yeah. Sort of a little closure on this, that this feels like a milestone, but also like, you know, a me, a really meaningful one that connects to so many precious parts of personally and and organizationally and community wise. Um, It's a lot getting this out. Yeah. So thank you for your work on this and, and getting, getting this conversation so dialed. Uh, I always say that, but this one particularly, I just feel like you held it well. And it's just such a good, like clean cut of so much goodness. Um, And just a reminder to you listeners, Lots of reasons to support the podcast that you've heard me talk about a lot in this episode. But um, we also want to give back to you if you're able to to support us. And the Patreon uh, page is a good, good way to do that. We put this conversation up in its entirety on the Patreon page. So you can go to YG2D's Patreon page and we'll put the link in the liner notes and become a patron for as little as $1 a month. And you can get content Right away, like that, um, and this would be the first time that we're really sharing content, specifically like a version of the podcast that's just yours there. So please go there and and you know support us. And and one dollar is great a month, but you know imagine like five dollars a month. It'd be like you you know you want to take me out for coffee once a month. This would be the way to do it. But if you want to do ten dollars, it could be like you're paying Nick and I a couple coffees worth of money to support, support. Just think of it abstractly. You are taking us out to coffee. Like we're hanging out right now, having coffee together. And you bought us a couple coffees that kind of support every month. It matters. It adds
4: up. Um, I love how coffee is just the only way people can communicate about value in the modern age. I know I keep, there is drink. It's like beer or coffee. This coffee is like like if you drink 10,000 cups of coffee, (laughs)
1: A 16-ounce coffee. Um, Anyway, yeah, please do. And know that when you do support us and the podcast, you're supporting the nonprofit. You're supporting our prison program. You're supporting our hospice program. You're supporting work in the world around grief and making space for not just community in general, but cancer patients and and our community inside, you know, <clears throat> all these things, all these ways. I'm getting emotional. It's all getting caught up in my throat. I can hardly get my words out clearly. Anyway, you know how much we feel about it by now, if you've made it this far in the episode. Whatever you can do, we really appreciate it. And again, thank you to Ani DeFranco. Thank you to the Ernest Becker Foundation. Thank you to CoraCow Chocolate. Uh we, we couldn't do this without all that support and we couldn't do it without presence of people like Ani in these episodes, making them rich and offering wisdom and experience of their lives for us to source and maybe use it to find a little more of the life we want or a little more of our aliveness here and connectivity. So th- thanks all around and thank you, Nick. Yeah,
4: thank you. So appreciate it. Nice you. work. Good job. You too. Good job tracking down Ani and having the talk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just got to send that email and let you're going to die. The you're going to die threat. Do the rest. (laughs) Maybe that's part of it is these people are like, Jesus, (laughs) they are serious.
4: It feels like a ransom.
1: (laughs) Yeah. She didn't admit. She didn't admit that. Anyway. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, everybody for listening until next time. Bye bye.